I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo from his mom's basement, along with Sam Monson, live from the studio with throw pillows and random pictures. How's it going, man? Yeah, I we came in this morning and apparently there've been some decoration done. We got throw pillows now. It's uh, it's very nice. There's a framed photo up there of the cool clinic for reasons passing my understanding at the moment. But yeah, well, apparently apparently the decor is being upgraded in the studio. I don't know if we're going to come in next time and there'll be a you know fancy flowery sofa or something instead of the the podcast desk and chairs, but it's being upgraded apparently. Yeah, the cool clinic, you showed it to me. It's only a PFF logo. I am the yeah. four-time keynote speaker at the we, cool clinic. That is your offensive line coaches clinic that happens annually. Yeah, it's got and, it's got uh, friend of the show, Joe Thomas, up there. Uh, he's in there with his picture. What was interesting is not only are you not there by name um, and that it's just the PFF logo, but the PFF logo is actually labeled Brian Hall, not not Steve Palazzolo. So your billing on the in the cool clinic has been – Kind of, it's been very undersold by this photo. Yeah, really diminished here. We'll have to get talk to my agent. We'll try to get that worked out. Four-time keynote speaker over at the Cool Clinic. Sam, we got a lot going on here, man. We've got um, awesome stuff happening over at PFF.com. It is football season. It's always football season at PFF, but we kind of make this start because people are starting to really care about fantasy, really care about their betting, really care about what their team's going to do. Training camp is right around the corner. And that's why PFF.com, we give you guys a little bit of a discount here for the next couple of weeks. Save 40, save four zero, and you get 40% off any PFF subscription for all first-time subscribers. And Sam, there's a million new, good, awesome things on the site. There's something for everyone, fantasy guides and college football preview and the first edition of the draft guide for 2022. It's all out there at PFF.com. Yeah, and it's always a good time to get in if you get one of the PFF annual subscriptions because obviously 365 days of access. You're getting a full year cycle of all the stuff we have at PFF. And yeah, today is the start of our, our sales season, the start of the ramp up to preseason, to uh, preview season uh, before we get towards the actual NFL football. And the thing I love about this too, if you are preparing for fantasy, you can get access to all of PFF's fantasy tools for just $5.99. It's all there. So save 40, S-A-V-E, 40, 40% off any PFF subscription for all first-time subscribers over at PFF.com. Now, you and I today are, you know, we're always just looking for some launching points. Like, what can we discuss? What football topics can we discuss here? And I think it's great that our guy, Eric Eager, and uh, our other guy, Ben Brown, uh, a couple guys who are, uh, you know, they're running through the numbers all the time, Sam. Running through the numbers, and they've got the uh, the NFL betting guide for the 2021 season. Our guy and our other guy. Yeah, it's 
It's well, yeah, well put. Eric and Ben. This is very they confusing, by the way, because together. now I've got to juggle this idea of, look, you're on the TV over here. That's where your ugly mush is. But the camera is right here. So, you know, for the people watching, I should really look at the camera because yeah, that look looks like camera. I'm paying attention to you. But you is over here. This is, yeah. I, don't, I mean, I don't know how TV people do it, Steve. That's what I'm saying. Every now and again, I'll give you a signal. Okay. That's when you'll have to look over here if I need to, like, tell you to do something. Perfect. Sweet. Um, So the PFF uh, NFL betting guide for the 2021 season, it's a really nice look. Uh, If you go, you go, Eric and Ben went team by team, and they went through the various team props that are out there. So I'm just going to pull some, and and we'll discuss. There are team props. There are division odds, playoff odds, Super Bowl odds. They're all on there but also player props. And then Eric and Ben picked their best bet. And now, so let's remember best bet because every now and again, Sam, they throw us up on social media and it's like, what's the best bet for the season? And we'll say, oh, it's the Lions to win the NFC North. And people are like, oh, you idiots, you picked the Lions to win the NFC North. But no, remember when we're talking bets, we're talking what's the best value? What's the best payout for the odds? It's not who is going to win. It's not a direct prediction. It's, you know, how should you best uh, use your resources if you uh, if you're into that sort of thing, right? Yeah, best bet in the value gambling sense as opposed to the turn of phrase sense, you know, the most likely thing to win. By the way, there's a decent chance at some point in this podcast that when you talk, your shot will not be you sitting there in your basement. It'll be little pitcher Steve here. The the baseball <laughs> card stuck in the helmet jammed in front of the desk. So I think I we'll think just throw better. it up when you're I- on screen. That that'll be your take. I think that's much better. I think we should use use the baseball card. I mean, I think we should use that, that was at definitely all times, like a ninety four mile an hour fastball on the black too. I, I remember that pitch. Well, possibly, but then it it came back over your head at one hundred and twenty miles an hour into the stands somewhere. That's also possible as well. Yeah. But not in not in Connecticut. Ball didn't fly there, Sam. Oh, it looked great. Okay. Ball doesn't fly in Connecticut. All right, let's get through. Let's get to this here. Um, these guys started in the NFC North. I don't know what their order is. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Who starts in the NFC North anyway? Um, I don't know. For the best bets for every team, this is over at pff.com. Uh, Chicago Bears, Detroit Lions, the first couple teams that they highlighted. I want to jump right to the Lions uh, because their best bet was a was a player prop. It was TJ Hawkinson, tight end for the Lions, going over 770 and a half receiving yards. And obviously, when you look at this, saying over 770 for a tight end in receiving yards. That feels aggressive, but when you look at that depth chart, that's me, the baseball card. When you look at the depth chart for the Lions, and by the way, we gave the Lions a ton of credit on the last episode. We said maybe they're secret geniuses. Uh, but Hawkinson's uh, you know, a good bet here just because we have massive question marks at receiver for the Lions. Yeah, I mean, who else are the targets going to? Um, the other thing is, he wasn't far off at last year, and there's an extra game involved this year, right? 723 right. yards is what he had last season, 96 targets. 67 catches in a 16 game season now it's a 17 game season so even just scaling that up you're in the ballpark um okay you're going from matthew stafford to jared goff so the passing game generally is probably not going to be as efficient but yeah i think the biggest factor is he is by far and away their best and most obvious passing target because the lions haven't really given jared goff anybody else to work with so um he should be their number one target, at which point 770 is, is a reasonably low and attainable number, even for a tight end. Uh, okay, quick aside here. It's gonna, first off, it's going to take me a while to get used to the 17th game. 
and wrapping those numbers around my head here. I just almost did a fro dance um, as I was talking about the numbers wrapping around my head. So the don't don't roll your eyes, Sam. I got by the way, I got all your baseball gear. I am I Sweet. am I'm picking it up, bringing it back. And we're going to have you dress up like minor league Steve very, very soon. You keep sending me these messages like WhatsApp texts or like, you know, choose which one of these things you want to view. I don't like I'm sitting here looking like an idiot in size XXXXXL clothes. I don't care what it is. Right. Just I just want to give me the outfit. I like my interest in like, you know, this glove versus this glove or this bat. Like. You, you, you're massively overestimating how much I have investment in the particulars of this outfit. Well, look, it, it matters. We have, some, we have some bats to choose from. So you'll have a bat. I do have some gloves. Maybe maybe you'll have one or two gloves. Sometimes you need different types. Um, and it'll probably be a mix and match of the various teams that I play for. I think that's what okay. we're leaning towards. Got a lot of good got a lot of good gear over here. We got to start uh, thinking really what quick. the uh, we got to start thinking what the next charity drive is. We do. We're Next spinning this we're one getting, out for. We're getting a, a lot of suggestions. Some I want no part of. Yeah, but we're getting a lot of suggestions. We're spinning this out quite a length of time on the basis that we have to wait for you to go to Boston and come back. Um, so it is. Yeah, we've had a lot of, a lot of emails actually. This might be the single biggest you know engagement thing we've done was asking people for ideas both for the charity that we can give to. I think we got some good ideas there, but also for like what the forfeit can be. You know what the thing. You with the fro show, me with the baseball outfit. Like, what can the next thing be that one of us, and it's your turn, has to do in order to raise money for charity? Yes, and uh, I'm leaning toward maybe maybe Bill's Mafia needs to be involved in this. We'll see. Um, I just wanted to say, though, I'm having a tough time wrapping my head around the 17-game schedule. Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk this week was talking about where he thinks the NFL is going. He really believes they're going to expand to 18 games. Now, n- not in a year or two, but the next step. He thinks they're going to expand to 18 games at some point and say, because they're trying to squeeze every dollar out of their product, which again, you know, you could say they're greedy. You could say, hey, that's what businesses do. They're trying to squeeze every dollar out. So they want that 18th game. And then he thinks the next step, they can't add any more games. They, they will have maxed out if they get to 18. They feel like that's the cap. Then the next step, he said, would be expansion. And the debate that he had was, is this going to be – it would have to be two new teams to get from 32 to 34 to, you know, keep things somewhat even. Um, but then it, he was debating, does that mean there's going to be two teams in London? Remember, for a while we've been talking about teams being in London. Is it, you know, do the Jaguars or another team move to London? And then is there a, a fresh franchise there? He was also suggesting that maybe – just like there's two teams in New York, two teams in LA, that there could be two teams in Chicago. And that could be the place where expansion happens. But the things that the thing that perked my ears that we always joke about is like, man, how cool would a fantasy draft, uh, an expansion draft look? You know, if we were in the middle of it, we've never been a part of the NFL covering the NFL during an expansion draft. That would be kind of cool to see players move around and, and just, you know, the as much as we love team building strategy, see what that would look like. Yeah, um, particularly if you like, if you spooled up a new franchise in this world of analytics and PFF and data in a way that didn't exist before. When you know the last time this happened with the Texans, right back in two thousand two, whoever is running that expansion draft, it's just well, 
it's old school, right? It's who are your favorite guys that you liked in the draft five years ago that have previously cramped out in their current uh, team that you're going to have a shot at, plus whatever the, the, the intricacies of the rules are. Now you've actually got real data behind this. Like you could potentially steal a march in a way that wasn't possible before by applying numbers and information and PFF grades and all these kinds of things to players from the NFL. So guys that teams are perfectly happy to expose to this kind of uh, franchise draft, but are potentially much more valuable than they're being given credit for. And that only sort of uncovers itself when you dive into the data and PFF IQ and, and all these kinds of things. Oh, thank you for the PFF IQ, you know, Got the plug there. That's great. Preparing for those fantasy drafts. Anyway, um, we're talking the next 10 to 15 years of the NFL. And I think that'd be a, a fascinating world, especially if it's 18 games, it's expansion and just seeing how that would, how that would play out. It is. Uh, I mean, going, the 18 yeah. games, the 18 game thing is they've always been, they've been heading that way for years, like trying to hit the 18 game magic barrier, which they think is the, the magic cash cow. Um, What's in, what's tricky though is the expansion part of it because the thirty-two team thing is just so neat. You know the the divisions of yeah. four teams. Like you go back to the a few years before the last one where you know divisions had different numbers of teams and it was just a mess. Getting to thirty-two right. was such a neat fix to so many issues that the NFL has had. Voluntarily screwing that up again is a really difficult sell. I think to to anybody that cares about that type of thing now if you're the nfl owners and all you're seeing is bottom lines and dollar figures they might not give a crap but for people that actually do care about <laughs> sort of fairness and all that kind of stuff it, it's a trickier sell you got to get to 64 is what you need mm. yeah so nice and even 64 nfl team. it wouldn't be watered down at all just pull some college see pull alabama up right um Let's get through some of the, uh, so the other, you know, we're at the PFF betting guide over at pff.com. Um, another one that stood out to me that um, Eric and Ben pulled out as their best bet, Tom Brady over 4,500 and a half passing yards. So over 4,500 yards in a 17 game schedule. At first glance, that does look really good. And, and again, our, our guys, we, we do our own fantasy projections, which is why you guys need to go save 40 over at pff.com because our fantasy projections are incredible. It's all based off all of our data. Fantasy projections have Brady as the league leader in passing yards over 5,200. So we're talking about a 700 yard difference from our projection and the bet. And, you know, that's strategically, those are the things you're looking at, those extremes. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that Brady would go over that given that receiving coin. Yeah, and the fact that he was basically there, like 4,600 yards last year, again, in year one in this Bruce Arians offense, Bruce Arians-Brady hybrid, let's call it, because it, it clearly wasn't, you know, it wasn't the pure, unadulterated version of a Bruce Arians offense that's been with every other quarterback before. On the other hand, Brady did still lead the league in average depth of target, so it was very much skewed in that direction. But I'm fascinated generally by what year two of this Tampa Bay thing looks like because one you've got typically that jump in year two for quarterbacks within a bruce arians offense brady sort of short shortcutted that whole thing in year one like the carson palmer andrew luck Jameis winston the 40 turnover worthy plays that each one of those guys has had in year one of a bruce arians offense brady had 12 like he just he didn't have the catastrophic number of high uh or high 
um, the mistake level that those guys have had. He shortcut that system entirely. He was able to go straight to like all the big plays without the major, major problems. So what does that look like in year two? Is that even more efficient? Does he maintain the league leading, you know, turnover worthy play rate, but somehow scale up the bigger plays even more? Um, and generally, the whole Bucks offense seemed to kind of get its stuff together late in the year, you know, week 10 onwards. Is that what it's going to look like from week one onwards now? Like, are they going to have a full 17-game slate as one of the best offenses in the NFL? In which case, like, they are going to be a devastating team to deal with. Yeah, the only thing that, you know, thwarts this is the the, the one year that Brady shows up and is not, you know, just doesn't have it anymore. You know, the arm dissipates or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing with old quarterbacks, you think about maybe the – you know, down the stretch, does a guy get tired? Does it get banged up? The things that have hurt Drew Brees over the last couple of years. And again, Brady hasn't showed that, right? He was just right. as good at the end of the season. He was better at the end of the season than he was at the beginning of the season or just as good all the way through. Um, so if that's the case, it does look like uh, a really good bet. You know, butts or pucks are going to, they're going to throw the ball and, you know, maybe be even more efficient than last year, as we've said. Uh, if you're also looking to, you know, play some wagers, you could do it over at Symbol. PFF has partnered with Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports. It allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports in the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. It's the MLB All-Star break, but it's good time to invest in your team for the rest of the summer, earning daily cash payouts. And, of course, it's time to take a look at the NFL Get in on your team and see their stock rise this fall. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. It's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. I got a controversial one, Sam. We might need to have Eric and Ben on here to defend this one. Dallas Cowboys, best bet, Ezekiel Elliott, under 1100 and a half rushing yards by the way all of these bets are they're about minus 112 you know they're they're favored um the the under is is favored here right you try you kind of get those those even odds on both of these on both sides of the equation but zeke elliott going under 1100 yards your thoughts on this one um i with the zeke elliott i think one thing is at some point he has to prove that he's deserving of the workload over tony pollard who is since he's been there, has outperformed Zeke Elliott in pretty much every measurable category. Um, and it's not a case of, you know, he's had a better situation in terms of health of an offensive line or whatever it is. Like, Pollard has been better than Zeke Elliott basically since Elliott got paid. Now, the fact that Elliott got paid and that there's this giant dollar figure attached to him buys him, <laughs> buys him the workload, right? It buys him the starting gig because... The Cowboys, more than a lot of teams, I think, are going to be very reluctant to walk back from that sunk cost and to say, all right, I know we've we've thrown the money at Zeke, but the guy behind him is actually playing better than him right now, so let's shift things in that direction. So, But, but the point is, as long as Pollard continues to play at this kind of level, he's going to eat into Zeke Elliott's workload. Like, There's no way around that. Um, so Elliott needs to get back to playing his best game, to not having the kind of inefficiencies or mistakes or six fumbles last year. Um, and if he doesn't, like, there's a good reason to think that he won't be as productive as people expect him to be. Yeah, I think the, 
the reason why I would be hesitant here is I, st I mean, I still think Zeke is good. Uh, I understand the, you know, the fumble issues were, were just really bad last year. I understand, you know, Pollard being really efficient when he's been in there, but there's something Zeke has shown to be a solid high volume type of runner. We expect the Cowboys to be better this year. I, I expect them not to be, you know, passing you know, Dak Prescott passing for 400 yards every single game like he was last year. I think they're going to win more games, not just be in shootouts left and right. And then when you add the extra game on top of it, even if they are, 1,100 yards isn't really a huge number, even in a 16-game schedule. And now you're talking with the 17th game, assuming the Cowboys are going to be better. I think the risk with any running back prop, though, is always going to be injuries. Like, it's always going to be uh, – you know, are they going to stay on the field? You know, how, you know, how effective will they be when they're on the field? But, you know, can they last that entire 16 games? Um, and, and, but if you have uh, 17 games, if you have 17 games of Zeke, I mean, this should be automatic, I think. Yeah, but 1,100 yards is becoming a much bigger number than it used to be. Like we, it, there was a period in the NFL where 1,100 yards was, became nothing. Like 1,000 was the benchmark for years. And then this era of, you know, workhorse running backs and just like legitimate, efficient production to a degree from the running back position and, and a thousand yards became nothing, right? It became just, is your running back healthy for 16 games? If yes, he's going to clear a thousand. Last season, only eight guys cleared a thousand rushing yards. Uh, only four guys cleared 1100 rushing yards because now the issue is workload and there aren't a lot of bell cow running backs anymore most teams are operating from some form of committee so if you look at you know carries two guys were over 300 derrick henry dalvin cook um only three guys were over 250 like the drop off to those to the in terms of workload is massive so i think the biggest thing is not necessarily will will zeke stay healthy for 17 games it's how much is Pollard going to eat into that workload? Um, and if it's on any kind of merit, it's a lot. Because last season, Zeke Elliott had 244 carries. Tony Pollard had 101, right? So two and a half to one, essentially, is the split in terms of, uh, in terms of carries. In, those, in that amount of time, they each had the same number of 15-yard-plus runs, right? They had the same number, essentially, of big play breakaway runs, despite Elliott being handed the ball two and a half times that of Tony Pollard. So I think that actually injury is not the biggest threat to Zeke hitting that number. It's can he actually raise his game to the point where you're not looking at the numbers and saying, dude, we need to give Pollard the ball more because he's, he's more effective. He's outperforming Zeke Elliott by a significant degree. And it's not even that like the raw numbers are skewing that way, right? Last year, Pollard had 4.3 yards per attempt. Elliott was 4.0. So you can look at that and say, eh, I mean, it's close enough, but yards after contact per attempt, Pollard was at 3.6 and Zeke Elliott was at 2.8. So there's a massive difference in terms of like the advanced numbers um, that say, look, Pollard is outperforming Zeke Elliott. Pollard has one of the best broken tackle rates in the NFL. Since he came into the league, he's got one of the best yards per carry after contact numbers he's performing better than Elliott right now and that is Zeke's biggest challenge and that was with the worst Cowboys offensive line we've seen in yes. years 
Um, so that was the, that was the other thing I thought that stood out to me that maybe Zeke could get there. But you make good points about Pollard with about volume, about the fact that yeah, only four, eight guys reached a thousand last year. Only four reached eleven hundred last year, and you know it, it could be a challenge there for for Zeke and the Cowboys hitting that number this year. Uh, the other one, this one stood out too in the NFC East, Philadelphia Eagles under six and a half wins. This is what Eric and Ben called the best bet. Six and a half wins, 17 game schedule. Uh, we've spent a lot of the off season talking about the Eagles. You know, they're, they're rebuilding. I think there's this world where Jalen hurts though. It's not just a spark. It's, it's that, you know, ugly, it's like an ugly passing attack, but yeah, you know, they, they do enough on the ground to win games 20 to 18 and have these, have these, you know, stumble into a few wins that they probably shouldn't have. Maybe the way Lamar and the Ravens did uh, in, in Lamar's rookie season where he wasn't, he wasn't MVP Lamar. He wasn't great as a passer, but they just uh, ran the ball extremely well. That's probably the best bet for the Eagles to have success, but under six and a half, that's what the guys like. It's not a crazy thought, though. I mean, it's a, it's a rebuilding franchise right now. Yeah, I mean, they won four games last season, and the division should be a lot better this year, right? You're going to get a full season, presumably, out of Dak Prescott. Um, you're going to get Washington, who's a team everybody likes in terms of the way they're building, what they've done. They went 7-10 and 10 last year with a pretty, including the playoffs, with a pretty catastrophic quarterback situation whatever you think about ryan fitzpatrick i think it's fairly inarguable that he's better than what they had last year between dwayne haskins even you know one-legged alex smith the great comeback story that he was it wasn't like alex smith last year is not even comparable to regular alex smith let alone where ryan fitzpatrick has been playing recently so washington should be better the giants should be better than last year even if their offensive line remains a major issue on paper so potentially the three teams around Philadelphia within that division are all better. Um, so their their immediate job has just gotten a hell of a lot harder. And as much as Jalen Hurts did provide a spark, I think a huge portion of that was just not being Carson Wentz. And Wentz was playing so badly that it, it there was just an immediate jump in, in going to anything else. Um, but very quickly the shine went off Jalen Hurts and like he would need to take a pretty significant step forward in order to propel them to more wins than people are expecting. Now it's possible, but I don't know how likely it is. Yeah, when you mentioned that they were a four-win team last year, I'm thinking, yeah, but yeah, it's not a great team, but that was with Carson Wentz being the worst quarterback in the NFL for the uh, 13 games or whatever he played, right? I mean, they're probably not gonna have the worst quarterback in the NFL. They could with hurts we don't know i mean that, right but also unknown it's also worth pointing out that carson wentz and jalen hurts ended up with more or less the same pff passing grade by the end of the year right so sure. wentz was catastrophic and the volume of turnovers that he had was just was prohibitive it was causing so many problems but jalen hurts injuries though too right i mean they were they sure. were bang, completely banged up the last two years but also there was a like carson wentz they Carson Wentz had a lower turnover-worthy play rate than Jalen Hurts, right? Carson Wentz, the problem was all of his turnovers, all of his turnover-worthy plays became turnovers, whereas Jalen Hurts actually rode a ridiculous amount of luck earlier, like the first couple of games, where he hadn't had a turnover, but his turnover-worthy play rate had been massively high. I'm just saying, like, Jalen Hurts provided a spark by not being Wentz. Wentz was definitely terrible. 
Um, and the fact that Hertz is this like dynamic rushing threat definitely helps. But Hertz was problematic as a passing quarterback. And unless that has gotten significantly better over the course of one offseason, the Eagles are going to be in trouble again on offense. Since it's fantasy football season, and if you like to play fantasy for money, you're going to need to check out Underdog Fantasy. They've got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Do the fun stuff. Just draft. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF. and get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at underdog fantasy a couple ones i wanted to highlight in the nfc west before we talk about the rams the 49ers this is this is an example of best bet versus most likely to happen the best bet that they highlight is third round running back trey sermon for offensive rookie of the year at plus 2500 so you're getting incredible odds for trey sermon a kyle shanahan drafted running back to win offensive rookie of the year yes the depth chart says Trey Sermon might not get a ton of carries, but that's not what we see historically in Shanahan's offense. It's, you know, the way they've they've run things in San Francisco. You know, it could be Jeff Wilson one week. You never really know. So Sermon should be getting some opportunities. And then you add Trey Lance to the mix and what they might do with him in the run game. I kind of like this. Trey Sermon at plus 2,500 offensive rookie of the year. I think that's a terrible bet. <laughs> really? I think there is almost zero chance saying, throw of that happening. throw 100 bucks on it. Or, I, I, mean, maybe. I think there's almost no chance of that happening. I, I think there's a why. Because the last running back to have more than 240 carries for San Francisco was Carlos Hyde in 2017. Like, they just don't give a single running back a high volume of carries. I know that they've had injury issues and they've cycled through a bunch of them because of that. But I don't think that a rookie is going to be the guy that comes in and gets the kind of workload that he would need to have to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. Because in order to do that, you're going to need to be a bell cow in, and you're going to have to overcome the quarterbacks that will inevitably be starting as rookies. And because they're quarterbacks, they're going to be putting up reasonable numbers, right? Whatever they, the deal is. So who is – like there's no way that he's going to get that volume of touches to overcome – like the rookie quarterbacks. It's just not going to happen. He's behind Raheem Mostert. They also have Wayne Gallman. It looks like he should be the number two option there. And then, you know, the hot hand theory, if they do give him opportunities, we know it's a long shot bet, but it takes one injury and he's in, or he just gets hot. He's, he's the best tackle breaker on the team immediately. Mostert's a home run threat, but Sermon is a great tackle breaker. And again, I, I circle back to this Trey Lance thing. Are the 49ers going to try to win with Trey Lance at quarterback, maybe throwing 20 times per game. Is that what they're going to morph into offensively? And if that's the case, we might be seeing Trey Lance with 10 carries, Mostert with 15, and Sermon with 10 to 12. And just having that thread of Trey Lance is going to make all those running backs better. Right, but like, so his most likely scenario is a J.K. Dobbins kind of rookie season where he plays, you know, a reasonable amount um, and is incredibly productive doing it because of the system around him and the threat of Trey Lance and what that's able to do. J.K. Dobbins led the NFL in yards per attempt or yards per carry last year, 
and nobody cared. Like he was, like, he wasn't in the rookie of the year conversation. Two rookies last season had more than 200 attempts. They both played really well in them. Uh, James Robinson for the Jags and Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. And neither one of those guys was even it was a remote candidate for rookie of the year because Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert were over there kicking ass at wide receiver and quarterback. There is just no chance of this happening. I know it's like a, it's a best bet versus like, you know, actually likely to, to happen, but I, it's not a good bet. It's a bad bet. You're burning money. Don't do it. Throw a dollar in, see if you win that 2500 Yeah, okay. If you want to uh, throw a dollar just for the hell of it, fine. But if you actually want to see that money again, forget about it. Los Angeles Rams, of course, a fascinating one because uh, everybody loves them. Uh, the betting markets, everything loves them. But they have, um, as, as Eric and Ben pointed out in the article, under 10, 10 and a half wins is their over-under for a win total. Which, again, I, I think the Rams are being a little hyped up right yeah. now. I think, they're, I think they're a little overrated. But the way they, this has been priced, minus 140, it's a lot of money for the under. It's been, it's been overpriced. It's been inflated for the under. So like, I would be sprinting saying, that I think the Rams are a little overrated. I would bet the under, but they, it's priced accordingly for, for people like me. Um, so what they're, what Eric and Ben called the best bet was Matthew Stafford under 29 and a half passing touchdowns. That also feel that does feel like a big, uh, a big number. And when you look at Stafford in his career, I, I do think the reason why the Rams are being over, overhyped is because people are closer to thinking Stafford plus McVay is going to be the thing. It's going to be the thing for Stafford to make him a top 10, maybe top five quarterback now. The Stafford the stuff. The Stafford stuff's getting out of control. Like people are losing their minds over Matthew Stafford. You you seen the that ESPN series they're doing where they poll uh, executives, coaches, players, and they're they're running uh, position rankings essentially. They just released quarterbacks today. Um, the highest that Matthew Stafford was voted by NFL executives, players, or coaches was four. Somebody out there thinks that Matthew Stafford is the fourth best quarterback in the NFL, despite a decade of play where he has never been even remotely in that ballpark. Um, the projection involved in getting Matthew Stafford to number four in the NFL is mind-bending. What, what was the consensus there? What did they have for the QB ranking? So he ended up at six. Like He ended up at six, and his highest vote was four. Um, okay, so... I'll explain why I don't think that's crazy. Okay. Now, or do you want to keep going? Are I'll do it now. Ranting? Do it now, and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. It's it's the average. It's the changing landscape of the NFL. I say this a lot, right? I mean, the, over the last ten years, twelve years, fifteen years, there was a very distinct top eight or top ten quarterbacks. And I think if you go back and rank every quarterback back to say like oh six PFF era, we'll call it. Stafford's about QB ten or eleven, and and here I am making a 94 mile throw 94 mile an hour fastball lower third hashtag stick to baseball with um average spin rate probably at an average fastball uh by the way first round of the draft was last night sam oh yeah did you get drafted uh, get my name called once again oh, okay there's, there's more rounds though so never know um so matthew stafford call him qb 11 over the last decade but among the quarterbacks that were above him <laughs> Philip Rivers has retired. <laughs> Your argument is basically that Matthew Stafford is nowhere near the top six, but everybody ahead of him just quit. Well, yes, because if you're a ranking quarterback, <laughs> this is why I hate ranking, Sam, and why I like tiers, <laughs> right? If you have tiers 
of quarterbacks, you can hypothetically say a tier one quarterback is a thing that exists. And in a, any given year, there could be four guys there, right? There could be an era where it's Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, and Manning. And they're four tier one quarterbacks, clearly the best guys in the league. You could have an era like right now where I think it's only Patrick Mahomes in his own tier one. And then there's a whole bunch of tier two quarterbacks because of Aaron Rodgers' age, because of Tom Brady's age. So if you have standards and then you put quarterbacks into the standards, then it makes sense. If you're just trying to rank them in linear fashion, just like when we had to do the PFF 50, once you got beyond Mahomes and Brady and Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, when we had him in the rankings, where do you go? Right? Where are, where is the next quarterback? Is it Dak Prescott? Is it Lamar Jackson? Is it Josh Allen? Matthew Stafford's name should at least be in that conversation. I wouldn't put him six, but I'm just saying it's not crazy. It's not ridiculous that the 10th best or 11th best quarterback of his era because of other stuff in front of him. Big Ben's falling apart. Rivers is gone. Drew Brees is gone. Matt Ryan's getting old. All of a sudden, it's like, hey, Matthew Stafford all of a sudden is a top eight quarterback. Yeah, but Matthew Stafford's problem is that he's consistently graded behind people like Derek Carr, who people don't even think. Like, there's there's a group of people out there that think that Derek Carr, like, doesn't even really belong as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's, like, good but not good enough that it's ever going to do you any good. So kick him to the curb, find somebody better, move on. Now, I think last season Derek Carr did a lot to repair that uh, image in the eyes of many, including me, by the way. Like, I, I – consider Derek Carr a better quarterback now than I did this time a year ago. But my point is, like, Derek Carr graded significantly higher than Matthew Stafford last season um, and most seasons. Like, now, so you're going to project a better Matthew Stafford this year because he's going to Sean McVay and this Rams offense. But, like, what evidence is there of that offense recently elevating the level of the quarterback involved? Now the quarterback was Jared Goff. But so I think Matthew Stafford is this amazing example of the the way that the word talent messes with people's mind, right? Matthew Stafford has one of the best arms in the NFL. Like if you were grading the ability to make any throw, regardless of platform, regardless of like area of the field, regardless of what direction he's running, Matthew no Stafford passes. Right. Matthew Stafford can do things with the ball with his arm that three or four quarterbacks in the NFL can do like that if, if that is your criteria he's a top five quarterback he's there with Mahomes with Josh Allen with Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and that's probably the four that are in that group along with Stafford like Tom Brady can't do some of the things with his arm that Matthew Stafford can do so this this like word talent gets stuck in people's brains that oh look he's this number one overall pick look at all the throws that he can make the things that he can do with the ball um therefore he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the nfl therefore all we need is a sean McVay to unlock that talent and he becomes a great quarterback the problem is that in order to think like that you have to dismiss like the mental side of the game from talent which it isn't right so there are, there are people out there that will argue that Tom Brady is not a talented quarterback because Tom Brady doesn't have one of the five best arms in the NFL. He can't make Mahomesian sidearm throws back across the field to the wrong side and connect with Tyreek Hill. You know, ridiculous throws that you're not supposed to be making. So therefore he's an un, he's not a talent he's not as talented as these other quarterbacks. But like the mental attributes involved in playing quarterback 
That is talent. Like that's a that's Agreed. a part of it, right? So Brady's ability to diagnose defense is to put you in the right scheme, to get you in the right play call, to not be confused by what's being thrown at him post snap. That is a mental trait and attribute that goes into talent as in terms of quarterback. If it isn't, then what the hell are we doing out here? Like there's no point to any of this. Um, because then Jamarcus Russell is one of the most talented quarterbacks of all time. And yeah, clearly every he, coach would be saying, give me Jamarcus Russell. Right. Give and, me the talented and guy. And clearly I'll, I'll he isn't, right? Because he had no, like, A, no work ethic, and B, no, the mental traits weren't there. Um, so if you start to fold in the mental side of things, then Matthew Stafford immediately starts to drop off because Stafford always makes a high volume of mistakes, like catastrophic mistakes, turnover-worthy mistakes. Now, last season, he didn't. Last season, he had the lowest turnover-worthy play rate of his career, but it was the lowest by a massive margin, like a huge distance. 2.2%, one of the best figures in the NFL last year, but the year before that, 36 And in fact, every other season going back to 2014, he was above 3%. Um, so what you're relying on is saying that Sean McVay and the Rams offense is going to transform Matthew Stafford into the same quarterback who can make the big plays and do spectacular things, but will immediately stop making errors, right? Catastrophic mistakes are no longer going to be a part of Stafford's game in a way that hasn't happened basically throughout his entire NFL career. I just think given what we know about like the quarterback's propensity to make errors being an extremely stable thing, right? That's one of the most predictive elements of quarterback play is essentially how often you screw up. Um, I just think that's a very unlikely thing to happen. Plus, this McVay offense, remember, this is a this is an offense that's been sputtering. It's been struggling. It hasn't been just consistent dominance the way it was, you know, year one, essentially, where it took the league by storm. It's not the like... The argument would be that it's because of Jared Goff, though. The argument would be... That Goff has... But Goff didn't hold it back when it was back. dominating, right? Like, I don't think that argument holds water. Like, the 49ers offense with Shanahan is still crushing people with Nick Mullins at quarterback. The Rams offense with Jared Goff is like the wheels have fallen off and it's it's careering off the tracks down a ditch, right? If, if Stafford had gone to the 49ers, I would have a much easier time buying into this idea that you're going to get a massive career year out of uh, Matthew Stafford. Stafford going to the Rams, I'm I'm not really buying it. That's why I love this season, man. I, I can't wait. I, this is my my biggest storyline is going to be the Stafford stuff. Stafford and Goff, you know, trading places essentially. I thought, but, you know, the year, uh it was it was a little less. I'm, you know, I, I've been followed. I, I always followed Sam Bradford's career so closely. He exchanged spots with Nick Foles one year and. We learned that, you know, neither guy could do a whole lot except Foles could go on a Super Bowl run eventually. But going back to the ranking thing again, right? Like, I think everybody pretty much, aside from this guy, can agree that four is madness, right? Because you've got Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. That's four right there, none of whom Stafford has any argument to be better than. No argument, right? Yeah. You, can't, you cannot make an argument in good faith that has Stafford above any of those guys, right? Even if we take Deshaun Watson out of the equation, which we did for our rankings and um, ESPN has done for this as well, right? Basically said, look, who knows what the deal is with Deshaun Watson? The guy's got 22 lawsuits active against him. 
let's just take him out of here. Let's just put an asterisk in and move him to the side because it's it's too complicated to wade into that. Even if you remove Deshaun Watson, like, can you make a really good argument that he belongs in a top six above guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Justin Herbert now, Kyla Murray? Like, he doesn't belong in this list above Kirk Cousins, let alone those other guys. Yeah, my issue with Stafford, again, is he's never graded. His highest grade was 82.6 in 2019 in a somewhat small sample size. Got hurt, missed um, most of the second half of the season. So to your point about talent, I am, I'm just completely with you. Now, the, the problem, I guess, is that people are also seeing the talented, the guys you listed as the most talented quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, all of those guys – turned their career around um, at various points, right? Mahomes went from a guy at Texas Tech who was just talented and then all of a sudden learned how to play within a system or immediately, and his <laughs> talent came through and he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers has had bouts as the best quarterback in the NFL after a good career at Cal, but he completely transformed himself. Josh Allen became an MVP candidate last year, the talented guy who went from inaccurate footwork issues, decision-making issues, and it all got better. So I think that's what people are still chasing, but this, I always make the Stafford Cutler comparison, Stafford's Cutler plus or plus plus, right? Better than Cutler ever was, but Jay Cutler was the talented quarterback, velocity and arm talent and all that stuff. And just give me the right offensive coordinator. That's what people have been saying for Stafford. And I don't know that Stafford's had a bad situation when it comes to offensive coordinators. He's had, Agreed. Uh, you know, um, who came into, no, I lost it. I know Daryl Bevel was there in the last couple of years working the play action game. They had good playmakers. I don't know that Stafford situation other than the run game. Jim Bob in LA. Jim Bob Cooter. Jim Bob. That's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm thinking about. Jim Bob Cooter came in. But the number the remember like think about the number of guy the number of times that a story has come out of oh Jim Bob Cooter or Daryl Bevel or ex offensive coordinator, new play caller, whatever, they fix Stafford, right? The old problems have been cast to the side. The new guys come in. There's a five-game run of efficiency, and this is the Stafford we're going to get going forward. It's happened like four or five times, at which point the common denominator is probably not the dude calling the plays what? or being the offensive coordinator. It's Stafford. This is who he is. He is an inefficient, inconsistent quarterback. No, no. Now you're downplaying him. He's a very good NFL quarterback. He's a very good NFL quarterback. That's I didn't say he, he wasn't. I said he's inconsistent and inefficient overall like he's not going to turn in you're not going to get this set like the light is not the switch is not going to go on whatever we are 11 years into his career and suddenly Stafford has realized this potential that has been sitting there untapped since he was the number one overall pick put it this way right however I raise you Ryan Tannehill a guy who had the you know eight years of this is the year breakout Ryan Tannehill and it actually did happen in 2019 a guy who was now, Tannehill's profile is different from Stafford. It's not this pure arm talent or anything, but Tannehill, even in his average to average plus seasons with Miami, always one of the most accurate throwers of the football. As far as getting the ball from point A to point B, Tannehill as accurate as it gets, and now all of a sudden that's been harnessed over the last two years in that Titans offense. All right, I'm going to ask you a question that will definitively disprove the Stafford thing. Make right. for me, make for me any case whatsoever that Stafford, based in logic, that Stafford will have a better season this year than Baker Mayfield. 
or that he'll have a better season. I think this is an from a grading standpoint or from a statistical standpoint. Either. Oh, st- the statistical standpoint's easy. Uh, it's going to start with Deshaun Jackson staying healthy with the Rams. <laughs> Deshaun Jackson has been one of the greatest X factors in the NFL in his entire career. There's there's just not an offense where Deshaun Jackson is healthy that is not performing above expectation. And he's their third or fourth wide receiver. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, both guys get open at a top 10 rate out of any uh, receiver in the NFL. So they got two guys who get open. You've got Deshaun Jackson as a deep threat, plus Van Jefferson and whatever they're going to do with Tutu Atwell. Playmakers are good. Offensive line is good. Uh, they will run the ball better than Stafford's ever had, and they'll run a lot of play action. You know, so so I think, and, and I think McVay is going to feel rejuvenated and excited and, and ready to do more things than they maybe were doing the last couple of years. So all of that adds up to absolutely the Rams could have a year where this offense is explosive and, and Stafford has a career. But here's the thing, right? Nobody believes that Baker Mayfield belongs in the top six of NFL quarterbacks right now, including, I would say, his most ardent supporters. They don't put him in that class, right? We didn't sure. put him in that class. Baker Mayfield is as talented as Matthew Stafford. Now, he doesn't have quite the arm, the arm talent, quote-unquote, that Matthew Stafford has. Having said that, he has a way better arm than people ever credit him for. I'm not quite sure why Baker Mayfield's arm is repeatedly questioned by people. The dude has a freaking cannon and can make a lot of throws. But Stafford is like genuinely special in that regard. Um, Baker Mayfield has been at least as accurate as Matthew Stafford over the entirety of the time we've seen him play. Granted, not quite as well in the NFL as he was in college, but I would say accuracy-wise, Baker's right there with Stafford. Um, he has the same propensity at the NFL level to make mistakes as Matthew Stafford has. Quite a high turnover-worthy play rate so far in Baker Mayfield's career. He was at 3% last season. Um, he's been at that kind of ballpark, the Stafford ballpark. Uh, he can, you know, he's as athletic as Stafford. He can run around, make a couple of extension plays. That offensive system should be as good as anything in Los Angeles. The Kubiak tree is the system that's working in the NFL. It's it's vaguely related. It's part of the same uh, coaching setup. It only just got its crap together the back end of last year as well, like the Bucks. The 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 Browns offense should be significantly better this year with a full offseason, with a full year under its belt, and everybody coming back. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. has the potential to be that Deshaun Jackson threat to this offense that makes it even better. Not Deshaun the, Jackson. The, not, I mean, not he's not like for like, but it's a similar impact in terms of what it'll do to the overall effectiveness of the offense. Uh, and the team generally, top to bottom, has one of the best rosters in the NFL. So there's every reason, like all the reasons people would look at and say, Stafford's going to be better this year than he's ever been before. All of them apply to Baker Mayfield as well this season. And he's coming from probably a higher starting point. Like Baker Mayfield had a higher PFF grade than Stafford last year. So if Baker's not in the conversation, why are we putting Stafford there? I I agree with you there, man. I, Baker is, is has somehow become underrated, I think, because I, of that I, second season. But I agree that he shouldn't be. season was a season that Stafford has had. At multiple times in his career, not just in year two, but Stafford has had that in the middle of his career, right? Which transitions nicely to the best bet for the Browns hmm. from Eric and, and Ben. Best bet being Baker Mayfield over 3,750 and a half passing yards. 3,750 and a half is the passing yard number for Baker Mayfield. And I do think as we head into year four, 
second year in this system, Odell Beckham coming back. That does feel a little light, even for a team that likes to run the ball as much as the Browns do. Yeah, and in a 17-game schedule, again, like the, the, the jump for that number. Like, what, 16 quarterbacks were over 37-50 last season in a 16-game schedule. Um, now, Baker wasn't one of them. He was uh, he was the 18th quarterback in terms of yardage, 35-63. But you factor in the extra game, you factor in again. I We keep assuming that Odell Beckham at some point must forge a connection with Baker Mayfield and actually become a useful part of this offense as opposed to, you know, a theoretically useful part of this offense, which is what he's been so far. If any of that and all of that happens, Baker should easily clear this. But just to reinforce the point, I think people are right not to have Baker Mayfield in that top six conversation. My point is simply all of the reasons that Stafford is being, uh, all the optimistic reasons to have Stafford in it also apply for Baker. So if if you're viewing all that and saying Baker still doesn't belong there, Neither does Stafford. The uh, the thing I'll push back on though is I won't I won't say from an arm talent standpoint Baker is there with Stafford. I think Baker's got the velocity of yeah. Stafford. I think the pure velocity on the ball that Baker Mayfield throws, tight spiral, pure velocity is great. I don't think he has the full array of right. touch throws and the whole thing that Stafford has. I, I said that. I said he's as talented, but arm talent wise, he would be slightly behind. But okay. it's but so it's I won't closer. Push back. I'll just but I'll that's, simply back up your point. Yeah, but that part's a lot closer than people give it credit for. For some reason, yeah. there's a group of people that think Baker Mayfield's arm is like marginal by NFL standards. Baker Mayfield has a good NFL arm. It's just not like Stafford genuinely has whatever you want to call arm talent, but he's up there with Mahomes, with Aaron Rodgers, with those guys in terms of special ability with his arm. Baker isn't there, but he's not that far behind those guys. And my point is, he makes up for that in other areas, which which equal their talent levels, their overall talent levels. All right, I don't want we're I, when we do when we preview the season, we're going to talk about all this stuff. We're going to dig into every single team. But the Steelers under eight and a half wins is what they, these guys have highlighted as the best bet. Are we <laughs> should we go down the Steelers rabbit hole now? Do we do we save it for the preview show? Is there any reason for optimism? You know me, I've been trying to push back a little bit too on on the general takes that Steelers are just going to be terrible because they've had a a bad offseason. But under eight and a half, does that seem right to you? Their issue, or one of their biggest issues, is again, they're going to be in a tough division now where Baltimore will be good again. Cleveland look like they're building something special. We just need to see it happen. The Bengals should be getting Joe Burrow back and have made improvements. Like Pittsburgh's job just within the division becomes a lot harder. I don't think you're going to see this Pittsburgh collapse. I think there's too much talent in that team. They're too well coached with Mike Tomlin, which is the thing that gets overlooked a lot. Like Tomlin doesn't necessarily bring one of these phenomenally exciting special schemes with him, but he's too good of a coach for this team to just suck. Um, their right. offensive line is critically concerning. Like that can be a genuine Achilles heel. But, I, I mean, it's going to stop them, I think, being a contender and being really good and probably making the playoffs if I was going to be betting. But, like, being terrible, I think, is a stretch. And under eight and a half wins, I think you would still lean – I think you would lean the under, but I, I, it's not a mortal lock. 
mean, they won eight games with Ducks starting a whole bunch right. of games for them. I, I know that's just one, you know, random data point, and a lot of things factor into it. I'm just throwing that out there because the Tomlin factor does matter. But, like, they, they haven't lost more than eight games dating back to, what, 2003? <laughs> 20 years? Like, okay, we, right. we've got 19 games, or 17 games, rather, to play with now. So, but, like, it, it would take a lot, you know what I mean? The other the other issue that I have is I think um, – I'll make this point a lot. People are overrating just the feels of the offseason. It feels bad for the Steelers. It feels bad, I think, for the Seahawks. But when you have a It is bad, but they were 12-4 and four last year. Yeah, I think – but I, I think they were – yeah, as we talked about, they were an overrated 12-4. and four. Then their entire offensive line disappeared, and Big Ben looked, you know, old and regressing last year. But I think that's the warning, right? Like, Big Ben is still there, and I keep bringing up the point. If he just turned back the clock a little bit and was pretty good, I wouldn't be all that surprised. So and it's not like the receiving talent is terrible, and they, they have good players on defense, right? So it doesn't feel good for the Steelers. But one, if Big Ben takes half a step forward, all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're a similar team as they were last year. I don't even know that they were an overrated 12-4 and team last year. They were definitely an overrated 11-0 and last undefeated team in the NFL. But it kind of like they then had a collapse down the stretch and they ended up 12-4 and and stumbling their way into the playoffs where they lost, right? That is probably about right. It just it happened in a weird way. It's like, you know, the Cardinals had a season last year that actually, if you look at it in totality, is probably where they belonged. But because they started really hot and, and stumbled down the stretch, it feels like it was worse than it was. I think the Steelers, 12-4 and four, with, you know, one of the best defenses in the NFL. Maybe the Rams was a touch better, but Pittsburgh's defense was genuinely elite. They had enough on offense that it was able to, to get something done against bad teams. Like, 12-4 and four is probably where they belonged. It's just, it felt worse than it was because they, they completely collapsed down the back end. Yeah, I, I just, I'm leaning towards there's probably too much hate yeah. in the analytics community for the Steelers at Agreed. this point, right? Maybe I'm just seeing so much of it, and I don't want to jump on that too much because I could see the world where this lackluster offseason doesn't matter for this season, right? For the future of the Steelers, I'm not optimistic. But for this season, I could see them overcoming it if Big Ben, Matt Canada, and a few things, you know, I mean, change. I think it'll matter. I just don't think it's going to – it's not going to lead to this, like, totemic collapse right. that people are talking about. Like, the Steelers – I don't think are going to make the playoffs, but I neither do I think they're going to be like a four-win team. Like the Steelers have way too much talent to just outright suck. They might be a 500 or slightly below team, but that's not necessarily like that's not abysmal. All right, here we go. The best bet for the Jacksonville Jaguars: Urban Meyer to win Coach of the Year at plus 2,500, and I think. A lot of this is going to stem from you have a one-win team, right? And the expectations are when you when you when you get to the end of the season, you're going to say, "Hey, he took a one-win team and turned them into a seven-win team or an eight-win team or whatever that number is," and it's going to look great, even though it's like, "All right, this is assuming if Trevor Lawrence is good, all of a sudden they are a seven-win team or an eight-win team, and then a few other you know." things fall your way and you have nine wins maybe you have 10 wins you know that that could be aggressive for the Jags but I think it's this low starting point that does make this an intriguing bet for Urban Meyer as coach of the year 
Yeah, I, I, I don't hate that as a bet. I think that's got a way bigger chance of paying off than the Trey Sermon one. Um, so yeah, I think. Look, Urban Meyer has. I think he's crafting something that could be really interesting there with, with this sort of uh, focus on hybrid players, guys that can cause matchup problems. Um, and I think because the Jags are coming from such a low starting point, and because we expect Trevor Lawrence to be pretty good right out of the gate there's a very good chance that they take a significant jump. Also, the rest of that division is the opposite of what we've been talking about with the AFC North. It's not going to be great. Like the the Texans and the Titans and the Colts are all eminently beatable if you're a half-decent team. So if they, you know, get a good run within the division, they could easily be actually a pretty good team right off the bat. All right, we're going to wrap it up in about a couple minutes here. Let's go. AFC West. Is that when Bobby Wagner comes in? <sighs> Bobby let us down again last time. No, I mean, you know, whatever. Stuff happens. We're going to have Bobby back at some point. <laughs> and so we do, do we just continue to tease? It's not going to be today. Or is it? We don't know. Maybe he'll show up. I mean, look, at, at this rate, show. he may well rock up for an interview by the end of this. Who knows? Let me just record a standard tease for Bobby Wagner now, and we will insert it into whichever show we finally get him. I say just every Coming show. Up. Every show would just end saying, and now up comes Bobby Wagner, and then eventually he'll be here. Coming up next, Bobby yeah. Wagner, linebacker. You have to Seattle keep listening Seahawks. to find out. If, well, at that point, just check the thing on your phone and see how many minutes are left on the uh, on the broadcast. And if it's like 25, he might he's probably showing this time. If it isn't, if it's like 30 <laughs> seconds, Bobby probably didn't didn't arrive again. We just we also we know our listeners very well. We know that you guys don't care about pristine perfect uh you know quality or production value so to speak so if we accidentally <laughs> tease a bobby wagner we're not going to go back and edit it out if we you're know looking for we've a... got this good connection yeah. with you guys you guys you know we love you you guys have uh you know listened and, and stuck with us and you know we're not going to go back and fix it you just know hey look bobby didn't show we teased it. Steve looked a little silly, but we'll move on. If you're looking for a quality professional show, you're listening to somebody else right now anyway. So yeah. the people that are listening to us, they're not going to care if we keep teasing Bobby Wagner and then he doesn't show up ever. Yeah, so Bobby Wagner might be on the show today. We don't know. By the way, one of the questions we need to ask when we eventually get Bobby on is like, what are the things that caused him to bump us 17 times? One was like a workout or something like that. No, no, no. I can relate to. It's no, the to, to, we were scheduled to start after the workout. Something else came up. Yeah, true. And then this time I, it was I, just like, like Bobby can't show up until like July the 28th or whatever it is. It's almost training camp. We're going to, we're losing our window any kind of, yeah. he's going to be like in his playbook every day. Or I'm something. just saying, you know, we need to find out when we eventually get him on, like what are the important things that caused us to get bumped down sure. the, uh, the time scale? Okay. That's the first question. All right. Let's wrap it up with, um, with two here. AFC West, Denver Broncos under eight and a half wins what are they thinking our broncos everybody's loving the broncos of course aaron Rodgers would throw a wrench in this if they somehow acquired him but is under eight and a half fair as this offense or this team is currently uh built yeah i mean they have one they arguably the worst quarterback situation in the nfl drew lock teddy bridgewater one of those guys would need to take a massive step forward without aaron Rodgers. um now it's possible. Look, Drew Locke, this is kind of the year that uh, that Josh Allen was staring into at the start of last offseason, right? Where he had two years, hadn't looked good, 
you know, PFF grades of 65-ish. We were writing him off, kind of. Like we were saying, this uh, Josh Allen is not as good as people were saying he was, and the chances of him becoming this amazing quarterback are pretty slim. Drew Locke is staring down the barrel of the same kind of thing. Now he's had less playing time to show it, so you can. There's definitely an optimistic way you can look at Drew Locke's career so far and say, "We're waiting for that jump, that progression." Is it going to come? No, probably not, because the Josh Allen thing was such an outlier. It's probably not happening two years in a row. But you can at least paint the picture of optimism and precedent if you want to go back last year. Teddy Bridgewater was bad last year. There's basically no way of of <laughs> shining that. But last year was weird in terms of Teddy Bridgewater's career. It was worse. It was his worst career, his worst season as a starter, including like his first two years in Minnesota. Um, Teddy Bridgewater should be capable of better than that. And it's a different dynamic, but his situation in Denver is, I would say, equally good as his situation in Carolina was last year. Um, what you lose in terms of Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator and offensive mind, you gain, and I think a superior group of playmakers around him and arguably offensive line in front of him. So, you know, if you're saying, well, the roster in Denver is really good, can Teddy Bridgewater get to being a, a quarterback that grades in the mid 70s and ranks 16th in the NFL? I mean, I could see that. And if that happens, Denver's a pretty good team, albeit in a brutal division. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I could see that too. I, I, I'm intrigued by you know the Rogers situation if he ever ended up there. But I mean, I if he Denver's ends up there, it's doing what they can. It's an overlock, right? Wise as they figure out quarterback. Yeah, like if Rogers ends up there, it's a that's the easiest bet in the world for over, right? Over. All right, let's wrap it up with this: Miami Dolphins to a tongue of Iloa. Our best bet. They said over. 3,850 and a half passing yards, 3850 and a half for Tua for the Dolphins. What are your thoughts here? Because, you know, when I get, when I do radio and, you know, it's the time of the year where people just talk national stories. One of the national stories, how long does Tua last? Is he the guy in Miami? Um, I think we've made the point too. They've, they've accelerated like what's happening with Daniel Jones in New York, where they're going to find out if he's the guy because of his supporting cast. Dolphins are probably a year ahead of that. Finding out is two of the guy here, but thirty-eight fifty for a guy that um, didn't look great last year. Might not be has, hasn't shown the aggressiveness needed, even though I think they're working on that. Uh, is this rich? You know, two are going over thirty-eight fifty. Yeah, I think it is. Plus injury concerns. Injury concerns and being benched concerns. <laughs> this two was benched multiple times last season for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it wasn't like. You know, you're playing so badly that we need to, to sit you down for your own sake. It was, okay, you, you suck right now, and we think Ryan Fitzpatrick has a chance of winning this game. We're going to put him in. Now, they don't have Ryan Fitzpatrick anymore, but they do have Jacoby Brissett, who is, I would say, above that line of, all right, Tua's playing really badly right now. Does the backup give us any shot in the world of making something happen? I would say, you know, if they had, I don't know, their quarterbacks... Yeah, there are quarterbacks out there where there's like no scenario where you're saying, yes, this is this is an actual option to put in the backup and he might do something. Jacoby Brissett, I would say, is above that line where if things are going really badly for Tua, you could make a case that, all right, let's throw Jacoby out there, see if he can make a couple of plays, which would be Tua's biggest issue, I think, right? That there's a very real chance that if he doesn't play well in a couple of games, the guy gets benched in the course of a game, which is going to chew into that yardage total. 
I, yeah, that it feels pretty aggressive, um, given we haven't really seen anything from Tua to say he's going to be a high volume, a high production, a high efficiency type of passer. Where, where are those yards coming from? The, the point made in the article is a good one, right? It's, it's last year. The Dolphins' defense was excellent, but they, they, they have a lot of things that are probably going to regress, one of which is uh, the number of tur- uh, drives that ended in a turnover. 15% of their opponent's drives ended in a turnover. That was Xavier Howard having those 10 interceptions. That's one of those things that you almost can't count on. So the Dolphins are probably going to be in some tight games, in some sh- more, more shootout-type situations. There'll be more passing. And then, of course, the depth chart is so much better at receiver with Jalen Waddell coming in and with, with Will Fuller coming in. So I, I see both sides of it, um, but I think there's enough injury risk, bench risk. We don't know how good Tua is risk that I'd probably stay away from it. But I certainly think the Dolphins have done a better job of putting the conditions in place for him to have a better year passing and the ball. They're a little bit like the Giants in terms of the obvious red flag is that offensive line. Now, unlike the Giants, right. they have a bunch of young guys that they're relying on that could potentially be significantly better this year. But right now, on paper, heading into the season, Miami's offensive line does not look good. And they're going to need it to be a lot better for Tua to have that kind of season. I think they're looking at they need they they need to be channeling the 2020 Rams. Last year's Rams, who we said, hey, they're they're waiting on their young guys. They're trusting their young guys to develop or some of their veterans to revert back to where they were. Now the Dolphins are – it's pretty much all youth that they're relying on. But uh, that's going to be one of the biggest stories of the year too. Does that Dolphins offensive line hold them back? Or uh, do they do they get back – creep back toward average, Sam. I haven't said it in a while. Do they mm. get to that level to set up the pass game? All right, man, that was fun. That was good. Go check it out. Uh, the NFL betting guide for the 2021 season. Um, excellent discussion points. Good way to uh, to start looking forward to the 2021 season even more. That's what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks. We're still kind of in the offseason world, but again, you guys are all in to fantasy and previewing the season and all that stuff. So we're going to give you uh, what you want, and then we're going to be going team by team. We'll preview, and then you know, before you know it, we'll have a Hall of Fame game. We'll have the preseason, Sam. We're going to be into it really, really soon. Yeah, it's getting close now. Um, you're starting to see the, you know, the tweets and posts pop up that we are what is it, seven Sundays away from uh, you know NFL Red Zone showing up again, uh, all those kinds of things. So we're we're it's starting to get there now. We're we're reaching the point where we are approaching preseason, which there will actually be one this year, um, and then it starts to spiral. Then it starts to roll. Awesome. So, yeah, appreciate everybody tuning in. Don't forget, uh, the PFF Daily is coming back July 26th. If you guys haven't subscribed to the PFF Daily, go check it out. We'll be back every single day, every weekday, five days a week. PFF NFL Daily comes back July 26th. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. See you again on Thursday.